These are the, the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess. As long as you live in the land, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and on the every spreading tree, where the nations you're dispossessing worship their gods, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire, cut down the idols of their gods, and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. Thanks, Tara, for reading that. That's fantastic. And a massive welcome to Trinity Church. Listening My name's Jeremy, and I'm, I'm on the staff team here. And it's great to be able uh, to welcome you uh, and add my welcome to Medusa's. Good. Well, we've already begun to pray that God would speak to us in the words uh, of Scripture as we sang that last song together. But shall we pray again as we begin? Let's pray. Father God, as we've sung, please speak to us by your Spirit and so teach us to love you and so teach us to respond to your will. And we ask, Father God, that this afternoon you would be showing us how to submit in, in full obedience to the things you have to say and as we leave as we walk out this afternoon please can we be more like your son jesus christ and more determined to live for him by your strength and we pray in his name amen well if you if you love someone then you'll long to please them uh, i think that's true isn't it if you love someone you'll want to please them. You want to do the things that bring them pleasure. So Dawn and I have been married for 25 years and uh, it just so happens that Dawn doesn't like parsnips and she's not crazy keen on Radiohead. I can't really, I can't really answer for her. But if, if every day she came home uh, and I was playing Radiohead's seminal album in Rainbows or sort of Creep or you know one of those songs um, and I'd made a spicy parsnip snoop, spicy parsnip soup, then you would conclude that there was something wrong with my love for her, wouldn't you? You'd, there'd be something that had gone wrong there. Um, because if you love someone, then you long to please them in every area of your life. You long to do the things that bring them pleasure. And we saw that just a couple of weeks ago uh, as we were looking at the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, this story of God's people led by Moses standing on the riverbanks of the Jordan with their toes sort of dipping in the water right on the edge of this promised land that God's said that they're going to have. This new generation of God's people that are looking to succeed where their mums and dads had failed, where the previous generation had failed to obey God. And first up, they heard this big call to love the God of the Bible. And we heard that too. And Medusha's already read that to us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the words that 
Orthodox Jew, Jewish people say every day, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. How are you, how are you doing with that? How are you doing? Chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your decisions, all of your soul, everything that makes you you, with all of your strength, literally all of your muchness. That's God's basic call to you. Love me. That's what he says. Has it been a good week for that? And then God's people, as they're waiting to go into their land, hear this call to obey the God of the Bible. So in chapter 10, this is, these are the words that we read out a couple of weeks ago. What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to him? That's the, that's the picture. God's people are, are, are to live in such a way people looking on could could view their lives and they could read the character of God off his people you see that that's God's exceptional project which is to gather a people who would be his very own he's, he's going to bring them together and, and he's going to show the world what he's like as they read his character off their actions and that's what God wants of this church uh, the churches that are growing the fastest to the churches, I think it's fair to say, where people are living most distinctively. God wants of this church that, w that we should be like a giant advert of what he's like, like those massive adverts in the middle of the Old Street roundabout. You know those? You know, we're to be like the equivalent for, for, for God so that people can read off his character from the way that we behave as a church family. Now, that's where we got to two weeks ago. But maybe, maybe you're thinking that that sort of call to obedience sounds a bit sort of mechanistic, a, a little bit like we're, like we're machines. It could sound a bit heartless, a sort of cold moralism. Just do the right thing. That's what God's telling you to do. And to be honest, I mean, the outside world thinks that's what we're all about. Isn't that right? Um, that we come to church to be told to be obedient and that church leaders are a sort of moral policemen. And I mean, sometimes it's true, we can be a little bit like that. I think we need to be careful that we can, that we can either give or withdraw, or withdraw our, our approval as a reward or punishment for other people. We can do that at church sometimes. And, and sometimes we can give the impression that this rescue religion that we thought about a couple of weeks ago is, is a sort of religion of morality. We need to be careful of that. But in this next section of Deuteronomy, we find out that living for God is, is nothing like cold moralism. It's nothing like that. In fact, our obedience is all about worship. Our obedience is, we're to be a church of worshipers. Um, it's deeply relational. But in the words of Romans 12, obedience to God's laws, and, and, and we're covering 15 chapters of laws this afternoon, 15 chapters, uh, the sort of law code, as it's called, right at the heart of Deuteronomy, chapters 12 to 26, uh, that in the words of Romans 12, obedience to God's laws is, is laying down our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, it says in Romans, is our true and proper worship. And so when, when Jesus 
quotes Deuteronomy, as he does more than any other book of the Bible. Did you know that? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, I think about 35 times in the New Testament. When Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, he does so out of a sense of worship and out of a sense of joy. Uh, and, and so as we respond to God as Christian people, we get sort of caught up in this, in this relationship between son and father, in worship and joy. Yeah, it's anything but cold moralism. Worship and joy. Yeah, you agree? Well, we need to know that if we're not to be a church of moralists. And that's going to take us to the introduction to this central section in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to look at chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. You'll find that on page 191. It'd be a massive help to me if you could have that open, page 191. And first of all, chapter 12, verse 1 reminds us Love for God means following in detailed obedience. Verse 1, love for God means following in detailed obedience. Detailed obedience. Have, have a look at um, chapter 12, verse 1. Have a look down at that, verse 1. Moses speaking to his people, the second major section of the book, and this is what he says. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Detailed obedience. Now, I've, um, I've got here, this is a very dad thing to do, actually. Um, uh, your dad's probably got one of these. Um, I've got a, a folder where I put um, instruction booklets for things that I bought. Anyone else have one of those? No, it's just me, isn't it? It's the kind of thing. Yeah, okay, I'm impressed. Instruction booklets. Have you noticed that instruction booklets are getting longer and longer? I don't know if you've noticed that. I, I mean, for our TV, um, then, uh, okay, you need to know a few things about how to work a TV, 122 pages um, of instructions in, in the instruction booklet. But an electric toothbrush comes with, I mean, what do you need to know about an electric toothbrush, really? comes with 21 pages of instructions. It's, it's quite surprising, isn't it? I'm sure those instruction booklets are getting a bit longer. Living for God? Well, 13 pages doesn't seem so bad, does it? In the book of Deuteronomy. But you're left with an impression of detailed obedience to God's laws and his decrees and, and his commands. Firstly, in this central section, you get chapter 12 to the first bit of chapter 16. And, and that's responding to God in the area of worship, um, where worshiping in the, in the temple is woven together with care for the poor. That's interesting, isn't it? Worship and care for the poor. The book of James does the same thing, you remember, in, in the New Testament. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and, and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Worship and care for the poor. And then you get the second uh, section of this middle bit of, of the book of Deuteronomy, second bit of the law code, chapter 16 through to chapter 18, and that's following God in the area of leadership. Um, elders, priests, kings, prophets. Following leaders who will lead you in the right way. How to do that. That matters. Um, that's a question I want you to be asking here at Trinity, by the way. 
I want you to be asking yourselves all the time, are our leaders leading us in the right way? Do ask that question. We want to be held to account. And, and that's a question that I think we'll need to ask of our leaders in the Church of England over the next few months. Uh, that'll be a question that's going to come right into the foreground for us. Are our leaders showing that they're under the authority of the, laws and the, pro of the law and the prophets? That's going to be a question that we're going to want to examine. Now, first of all, worship and care for the poor, leadership, and then in chapters 19 to 26, it gets very granular. Um, following God in the, in the family, don't know how that's going for you, if you're part of a, part of a biological family at the moment, in, in marriage, how's your marriage going? In, in the way that we care for the vulnerable, uh, the widows and the orphans and the immigrants, yeah? That's chapters 19 to 26, detailed obedience. Uh, nor is the law just for God's people in the land. You can see that that, that is its original intention. You, you, you can get that from, from verse 1. But now in 21st century Islington, it's not that the law is completely irrelevant for the way that we live. In the, in the 21st century. We, but we do relate to the laws in a different way. Okay. Um, I think of it a little bit like this. I, I hope this is helpful. There's, um, there's a news agent on the Goswell Road. Uh, you know the Goswell Road. Um, I've been going there for about 25 years, since I was about 12, and, uh, or, or so. And, um, and there's, a, there's a sticker on the door with one command on it. Okay, one law, uh, one sort of suggestion. It says, Olympics, London 2012, back the bid. Okay, that's, that's, what, it's, that's what it says um, on the door. Just, just one bid, uh, just one command, which is to back the bid for the Olympics to come to London. It's put there in about 2010, for those of us who were alive in those days. Did I take notice at the time? No, not really. Um, I don't think I was really part of that. Am I glad that someone did? Yes, I am. I, I love the Olympics in 2012. It's a great celebration. Are there things to learn for what I do now, either for future bids or other things that I might be called to back? Um, yes, there are. So do we do the kind of things that the law commands? Um, no, often we don't. We often don't do those things. Uh, Madhush has suggested that we end the service with a time of confession. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That seems appropriate to me. There are things in my life that I need to confess. And I'm going to enjoy confessing those things to a God who's full of grace together with you. Am I glad that somebody did keep the law? Yes, I am. Uh, that's one of the most glorious things about being a Christian. It's not just that my sins are cancelled out and I'm sort of left in limbo, that I'm left in some sort of neutral position, uh, that all of my negatives have, have been sort of wiped away and I'm, I'm left in sort of uh, uh, in neutrality. It's that all of Jesus' obedience is now counted as, as mine. All of his positives become mine. And so when, when God looks at me, 
And when he looks at you, he sees all of the obedience, all of the perfection of Jesus. He's credited to your account. He sees perfection. Because Jesus' perfection is credited to you. Am, am I glad that someone perfectly obeyed the law? Yes, I really am. I really am. So what are you and I to take away from the law? Well, this is a big subject, and we won't have time to cover it completely now, but we're no longer under the law in, 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 in the way that we have to keep the food laws or, or, or the way that we might want to build a temple. The book of Romans and Galatians make that point very, very forcefully. We're no longer bound by the law. We're no longer under the law, but we, but we learn wisdom from the law. Let me just show you that in one place. Okay, have... Have a look with me at Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Just one law in Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Part of the civil and social laws that govern how Israel is to live from day to day as a society. And it says, don't let your cow go hungry if it's working hard. Okay, that's a, that's a fair principle, isn't it? Don't let your cow go hungry. Um, it says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. You can imagine that, uh, that that's the way you used to thrash the grain in those days. You used to get a cow to stamp on it. And as he's doing that, let him have some food. Why not? Don't be mean with your cow. Now come forwards to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. It's on page 1150. 1150. It's fascinating the way that the Apostle Paul puts the law to use as he's making a point about the New Testament church. Page 1150, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. Paul's talking about his relationship with the church as an apostle and whether he should have to work to support himself. And 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, page 1150. Let me read that. For it is written in the law of Moses, says Paul to this Corinthian church, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Um, Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, you can see that in the footnote. Um, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Well, in one sense, yes, but there's another sense in verse 10. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? For us. Means the New Testament church. Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Can you see how Paul's using the Old Testament law as, as wisdom? Can you see that? He's saying, um, don't let the apostle go hungry. Um, when he's working hard. It was written for us. And in the same way we can go to other laws in, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, when a man's married, he shouldn't go to war for a year. That's a good principle, isn't it? Don't take on extra commitments when you're newly married. Uh, when you're building a house, put a parapet around the roof so no one falls off. Health and safety matters. We want to look after each other so that nobody gets injured. We read the Old Testament laws and they become wisdom for us as, as, as New Testament Christians. 
And so if we're wise, we'll want to search the Old Testament law for ways that we can follow. Where do you think that might challenge you, I wonder? Love for God means following in detailed obedience. Detailed obedience. But, but that's not all, because following God in every area of life is, is not cold moralism, but it's real worship, real worship. And that comes back on page 191, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 2 to 6. Have a look down to page 191. Remember, Moses is introducing 15 chapters of law code, but what does he say? Look down to verse 4. You must not worship the Lord your God in, in their way. He's talking about people who are idolaters. Verse 5, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. It's interesting, if, if I can put it like this, it's interesting the things that God chooses in the book of Deuteronomy. It's another, it's another way of saying um, what we find to be important. So um, uh, where your socks come from, I mean, it, you might not be that worried about where your socks come from. Uh, as long as they're socks and they keep your feet warm, that's fine. But where you get your hair cut, you might worry a little bit more about that. You might choose that with more caution. Have a look to see in Deuteronomy what God chooses. In, we've already found out in chapters 7 and 10 that God chooses his people, not because they're smarter or, or bigger or brighter or highly effective. God chooses his people simply because he set his love on them. And then in chapter 17, he's going to say that he chooses a king to set over them. That matters to him. And then um, in chapter 18, he chooses the Levitical priests to, to stand and, and minister. And then here in chapter 12, he chooses the place for his temple. The temple, the meeting place between God and man. The, the, the place where earth and heaven touch. The, the place where God particularly dwells. The, the place of true worship. That matters to God. And not just the, the place, but the way. Do you notice that end of verse 4? You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Don't worship God the way that idolaters do. Trying to serve our idols. Um, they might even be good things. You know, family, success, the avoidance of suffering. But when we take good things and turn them into God things, that's when they begin to destroy us. Yeah. Don't worship God in the way that you might worship idols. Perhaps you've heard of a guy called David Foster Wallace. Have you heard of him? He's a, he's a famous author um, in the States. He's not a Christian guy, but he was asked to give a commencement address at, a, at an American college a well-known author and this is what he said you'll see it up on this on the screen the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive if you worship money and things if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty 
and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. He's right, isn't he? That's why true worship, real worship, brings every part, every detail of our lives to, to, the, to the place, to the person that God has chosen, the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That the, the meeting place between God and people is, is in his son, Jesus Christ. The place where earth and heaven meet is in him. He, he is the place of real worship. He is the new temple. What makes heaven so amazing? We'll see him face to face. And as we do so, we rejoice. That's our final point just as we finish. Love for God means rejoicing. Rejoicing in all his blessings. You know, um, God's people in Deuteronomy are called to well, understand God's grace and, and, to, and to live in God's way and to advertise God's character. That's what they're called to do. And the heart of that is not just cold obedience, it's real worship. And that, that's why Romans urges us in view of God's mercy to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God as our true and proper worship. So we're called to be a church of worshippers. It calls us to obedience in the details, and, and it's hard. It's hard to live for God like that. You know, someone said to me once, you know, if, if, if your life was like a big house, what are the rooms you're not letting God into? It's a good question, isn't it? Areas that we're just holding back. We don't want God to have access. We don't want to submit them to him in worship and obedience. So we're called to be worshippers in, in the decisions that we're going to take this week in, in our workplace and in our home and in our significant relationships and in our lives online. These are the decisions that are before us this week. And we have the opportunity for worship. And we want to follow our God as we worship him with our lives and with the wisdom that God's law provides. But as we do so, we rejoice in his blessings. And that's the point of, of verse 7. Let me read out verse 7. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you've put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. He's blessed you. You know, for, for God's people, he's, he's led them into this covenant. He's fulfilled all of the promises that he made to Abraham, extensive promises. He's, they've been secure for centuries in, in his love. He's, he's provided for them as they wandered through the, through the desert, manna and, and quail. And, and, and even as they go beyond Deuteronomy, as they go into, into exile, this is, this is all of God's grace. He's, he's teaching them repentance and he's going to bring them back. Rejoicing God's blessings. And in the new covenant, how can we say less? How can we say less than that? We've been blessed with the heritage of God's gracious acts and, and all that has come to us in, in Christ Jesus. 
an inheritance that, that, that is ours as, as, as the equivalent of firstborn sons in God's family. And, and then we have forgiveness of sins because of the cross where Jesus stood in our place and, and said, well, you've done the sinning, I'm going to do the dying for you. We can rejoice in those blessings. And, and why have we come to faith if it's not through God's mercy to us, sort of moving our hearts, sensitizing them to, to, to that time that we heard the gospel from our college mates or from our parents or from our friend at school? Rejoice in, in God's blessings. God has blessed us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, tells us in Colossians and, and Ephesians. Can't be taken away from us. Why, why do we have the Spirit as a guarantee living in us? We can rejoice in, in the blessings. Um, why do we know what it's like to be together as a local church, supporting one another, loving one another? We don't do it perfectly, but we've got a whole new family of uh, brothers and sisters, people who care for us, who've got our back. You know, if we have needs, they'll, they'll pray for us and, and look after us. We've got people who understand us. And, you know, if we've got concerns, then they're their concerns as well. Rejoice in the blessings. Promise of a new heaven and earth that we'll enjoy for eternity. Rejoice in the blessings and the confidence that God will bring everything to completion. He will. We can rejoice in those blessings. You know, God's calling us this week to worship. God calls us to his son, the location where we come to give praise to God. And so we find ourselves rejoicing in him. Let's pray then, shall we, as we finish? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you don't just call us to cold, hard moralism. You don't just tell us to do what's right. You bring us to worship in the place where your son is. And so, Father, we anticipate that amazing day when we'll see him face to face and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And that incredible privilege of coming to that place, the new creation where heaven and earth meet. And so, Father, I pray that we would learn to worship you this week in, in the details, in the details of our lives. Please, Father, give us an obedience that springs out of love for you, a desire to offer our bodies as living sacrifices for you. We can only do these things in your strength. And so we ask, Father, you'd strengthen us for the weeks and months ahead. And we ask in your name.